scary world. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead, Dead Time Stories. Welcome to episode 55. 55. 55. It's like now that we passed the 50 mark, it, they're just zooming by. They're all 50 I was something like, now. Fi- until we get to the 60s. Right. Well, I just, yeah. Well, Which will be very aren't soon. They, aren't they all special? Hey, Mama, welcome to the 60s. That's from here. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, when we hit episode 60. It's true. And I had another comment about the other one, but I forgot it. It wasn't important, I guess. Hey, Sarah. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Stop coughing like a bitch. <laughs> I'm a little bitch. Our little baby Jared just graduated. <gasps> Jared Taylor is my king. Jared Taylor is my king. Jared and now Taylor's a high school king. graduate. Oh, congratulations. He's going to go to Temple University. So he's not leaving us. Uh, thank God. And we'll and get him on this show at some at point. At some point. I posted a little thing on Facebook where it was this little, like, the dad giving a little boy money. And he's like, Billy, here's the dollar. And they're going to teach you the value of money. And Billy's, like, walking over. And his dad's like, Billy, no! And Billy's putting his money into a theater degree. A theater degree. That's garbage. Yeah. I'm still paying for mine. Hey, mine's film. And uh, it's paid off. Yours is paid off. Uh, after... <laughs> How long did it take you? Yeah, um, I graduated in 2010, uh, and I finished paying it off in 2018. Were you, you, had you turned 30 by the time you paid it off? Or were you I was 30. You were. Who fucking cares? Stephanie paid off her student loans, you guys. I feel like that's such a monumental (laughs) thing. She did it before we started recording. I paid off my student loans, and then I was debt-free for a single month, and then my car died, and I had to buy a new car. (laughs) I'm really glad I told that story. Because <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll see. But uh, yeah, so yeah, but so I'm still in debt, like like the rest like of my generation. Of but which is another reason why you should go to our Patreon, Patreon. and give us your money. Give us your money. Today, Patreon. actually, which will have already passed by the time you hear this, but today we're doing our first live stream. We are for our live Patreon stream, which reminds me, actually, um, you're going to hear me do this on this episode where I'm going to make a quick little Facebook, Instagram story yeah, where people. we're like, hey, y'all. So we're hoping we have at least one person on our live stream today, but next month... There better be even more. I hope there's more. Hey, y'all. No, it's a video. Oh, it's a video. <laughs> Um, business right, stuff. Do you have any business stuff? Them. I'm in a show this weekend, uh, June seventh, eighth, and 9th at Allen's Lane with Casa Buena Cultural Productions. Be there, be square. We're I'm gonna be there in the audience. Screening five of our original films that have not been screened yet. I say original. I think they're all original. Yeah. One of them's by Jared. Two of them are by Christopher Lepore. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the other two are from. Who wrote them? But. Jared. We haven't screened them yet. I think I know Jared wrote eleven teen. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. The other one is what? High stakes. High stakes. Who okay. wrote high stakes? Brian Weiser. <laughs> oh my God. Do you think he's gonna be there? Oh my god. I don't know. Please keep this. <laughs> he doesn't listen. He, he doesn't listen. Does. Even if he does, who cares? Girl, he wrote it. And he's the main character. I knew that. Chris Lapore is involved with all five of the movies that are being screened. Aww. He's probably not going to be there. He wrote two of them, yeah. and then he's in the other 
Is it four or five? It's five, isn't it? Because it was was supposed to be five and five, one acts by David Ives, which I'm in the one acts, but they're four one acts because we had to cut one because we had people drop out. But if you want to see... Anyways, back on track. Back on track. Back on track. (laughs) We're doing five original films, four David Ives plays... Uh, at Allen's Lane on the 7th, 8th, and 9th. You can find tickets at Casa Buena CP. That's C-A-S-A-B-U-E-N-A CP dot com. Yep. <laughs> uh, you can find tickets there. Yep. Stephanie uh, will so be yeah. there. She'll be in a one act. I'll be there in the audience. But, but you, I'm in one of the films. Yeah, I was going to say you were in one of the films, right? Yeah. yeah. And Mary Angel will be there. You love her. will be there. So, so, Colleen, are you coming? Colleen, oh my God, girl, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah. I was talking about, um, I was on the phone with Christina earlier. Uh, Hi, Christina. Hi, Christina. And, um, because I was asking her about one of the things I wanted to talk about today. And she uh, was asking me about Colleen. And she was like, is she the one on Instagram that's like cheesesteak assassin or whatever? I was like, yes. And she was like, she is hilarious. She's so funny. And I was like, I know. And she was like, what is she? Is she like a writer? Is she like a comedian? I was like, she's just a cool person. No. I was like, right. I was like, she's just an ordinary person who is super hilarious and should do creative things because she's super funny and awesome. And yeah, we like her a lot. We're a big fan. And uh, yeah, Colleen, you should hang out. We should do stuff. We keep saying that. Like, let's do it. Yeah, so come out um, this weekend. Yeah. And we also love Christina. You guys remember when Christina, Christina was on and told us that dope-ass story? <sighs> that was such... Oh, so good. Ooh, it was it a was good, good story. Go check it out. Episode 48. Um, Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk, talk about some guests? guests? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not talking about a ghost this week or next week. Well, goddammit. I'm just talking about some dudes who did some questionable shit. All dudes. You talking about Louis C.K.? All dudes. Two dudes. No, I am not. <laughs> not that kind of Donald questionable. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start with this first guy. So, both of these are in, like, fairly recent history. This one is in more recent history. The other guy is, like... Like, who is it? So, uh... There's a ghost smashing pans around. There's, there's our ghost story. Um, I don't know. Sarah, what do you know about Bo Bergdahl? Bergdahl? Yeah. Nothing. I'll take it as a nothing, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bo Bergdahl was a an American POW in Afghanistan for five years, okay? And he, during Obama's... Uh, I was going to say rain. <laughs> During Obama- I know I like saw you think that word. No, I was like, like that's not the rain. word I use. Um, during like Obama's time as president, right? He um, long may he reign. Oh my god, <laughs> oh, bring him back, girl! It is four more years, please. Anything but but what's happening? So going on. So Bo Bergdahl was an American soldier who was a POW in Afghanistan for five years, and. Obama made a trade where he traded five people because he's being held by Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. He gave up five prisoners in Guantanamo Bay to free Bo Bergdahl. Okay. And while Bo was uh, held, he got promotions. I don't know how that works. Wait, what? Right, exactly. Because I was Prisoner looking at promotions? Right, no, in the army. Like, he got oh. promoted. But I was oh. like, he's not even he's at not work. doing anything. Right, exactly. Which I'm like, he's like not dying. I thought about it almost like, like maternity leave, where I'm like, no, I get it. Like, you're away from work and you can have your job when you come back or whatever. But like, I'm not going to promote you. Like, you get your regular pay. Like, why would it, you, you don't get a promotion. You're not here. But, yeah, I was like, also, like, I don't, uh, 
I guess, you know, he had a wife and kids. They're getting the paycheck. I uh, like, didn't have a wife and kids. He's single. He's a young guy. Um, so that money's just going into an account. So he's like away. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to he's that. We'll at camp. He's on camp. Girl, he was held by the Al-Qaeda. Like, know, let's I put realize. that up. He was I a know. prisoner of war. <laughs> he, was, he was probably tortured. You said he did questionable things, so I'm already ready to just well, shit on him. Well, the questionable thing... Okay. Now, there are a lot of people that had a huge problem with this, like, trading of five people for Bo Bergdahl, right? Because he's five a very POW. For one. But the big deal about Bo Bergdahl was that there was this big question of how, how did the Al-Qaeda get him, right? How did they even get him? Bo Bergdahl walked off base. <laughs> like, literally left in the middle of the night, walked away. And then got captured by the al <laughs> So he, what is that called when you leave? When you, because you're not allowed to do that in the service. Right. You're not um, allowed to walk away. Uh, well, some people would say he's a deserter. That's it. MIA, you're missing an action. I think uh, deserter is what I'm thinking, thinking but of. But you mission, leave, missing an bad. action is like a con where like, <laughs> it's like you might be dead. You don't know, right? How, well, we don't know where he is. He's missing. Deserter is like he actively chose to leave, right? Um, my brother, who I'm like, maybe he'll skip this episode or skip through it. I asked him if he listened to season two of Serial because they talked about Bo on the season, oh, the second season of Serial. And my brother was like, I don't want to know. I don't care. Now, mind you, my brother is an American veteran who served in Afghanistan during the war. So everybody who is military personnel is like, I don't give a fuck what that traitor has to say about why he walked away or what happened. Like he's a, he's a deserter. Like he walked away. Yeah. I was like when you, yeah, when you walk away or desert, it's a very bad thing. Correct. So basically they had him on, Serial to talk to him about like why he walked away and like what happened and blah 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 because he wasn't in Afghanistan for very long he was only out there for like a month before he left his post and he was like I can't do it anymore there's too much sand right so he in 2008 is when he joined the army right May 2009 is when he was deployed to Afghanistan June 30th 2009 is when he was captured in Afghanistan <laughs> So, like, a month, month and a half in Afghanistan, he was like, fuck He this. went through all of the, like, train, basic training, training, mm -hmm. all that bullshit, but he got to Afghanistan and couldn't even make it two months. Now, speaking on Serial, when they were like, what's up, what happened, right? They want his side of the story. So, he, granted, will say he didn't make the right decision in walking away from his post, but... <laughs> That this was where that decision came from, right? Mm -hmm. Was basically he was just talking about how the superior officers were completely like disrespectful to the enlisted men and stuff like something like they they had been under fire where they were all like trapped in a tank for a few days um, under enemy fire and like the tank was like not uh the tank was fucked like the tank wasn't going to move and they were trapped in it right and it took days for these men to get rescued and when it came back when they came back right they were all like beardy because mm -hmm. they'd been trapped in a tank for three days and the superior officer he said like the first thing he said to them was about how like they didn't like they hadn't taken care of themselves like they were soldiers they hadn't shaved like they weren't in their uniform looking the way that they were supposed to look and like that was the annoying. first thing he said to them right exactly yeah. and that just like really upset him yeah 
Um, but that that was like a symptom of like it was a lot of constant like just zero respect for the for the enlisted men. But that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Like that was like the last one. Right. So those things all mounted in his mind and he was like, Yeah, like fuck this. I'm gonna when someone disappears off base, um when someone goes AWOL, that's the word I'm looking for. They set out what's called a uh, dust one, which is like an alert that's like, hey, everybody, this person is missing. Like, we don't know where they are, blah, blah, blah. So he said that he wasn't trying to really disappear. He was just trying to be gone long enough to activate a dust one because that would bring attention to his unit where, like, people would come and, like, hear what's going on there, right? That was what he was thinking. He's like, I'm going to go hide in the desert for for, like, a week or two. (laughs) <laughs> and these people are going to, like, come looking for me. And it's going to bring a lot of attention to my unit, and we can talk about all the problems in my unit. The reality is he, like, walked out into the desert in the middle of the night, didn't know where the fuck he was or where the fuck he was going, <laughs> got rolled up on by some Taliban dudes who were like, get in the fucking truck, <laughs> white boy. Like, like, you don't belong at, here. They were like, look at this fuck. Look, look at this, look this, this fucking boy guy. walking around in the dunes in the middle of the fucking night. I can see him. He's so white. He's his own beacon. He's, like, he's, the moon is reflecting <laughs> off of that fucking... It looks like daytime out here. There's a white boy out here. Get in this fucking truck. Get in the van. What are you doing? So he was captured by the Taliban. They were like, I'm, I lost my puppy. Can you help us find it? <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh-huh. I What I imagine when you're telling this story is I imagine a dude in the desert walking out. There's like bushes on either side of him in the dark and he's walking and all of a sudden just a big net just comes over him and grabs him and like pulls him yeah. into the bushes. Like I just so imagine. There, or he yeah. like walks into a cardboard box trap. Now, and there are... There, there are different accounts of who says what about how he was captured. Yeah. Right? But, like, the gist of it, like, in general, is he was away from the... He was alone wandering around in somewhere where he sucked out, like, a sore fucking thumb. Yeah. And got captured. And they were like, excuse me, sir? Um. So... That was uh, July 30th, is or June 30th, 2009 is when they captured him. July 2nd, so just a couple days later, a U.S. military official says that a soldier is being held by the clan of warlord Siraj Haqqani, the Taliban previously claimed to have captured the soldier. July 19th, 2009, they released a video. Um, they released a bunch of videos. So July 19th, December 25th, April 7th, 2010, then June... 12, 2010, Bergdahl is promoted to specialist. That's where I was like, how is he promoted? December 7th, they release a 45-minute video. Uh, February 2011, another video is released. May 6, 2011, Bergdahl's father made his first public statement since the disappearance of his son. And he made a video on YouTube asking for them to release his son and let his son go. Uh, June 12, 2011, Bergdahl is promoted to sergeant. May 2012, the U.S. government acknowledges that it has engaged in talks with the Taliban to free Bergdahl. June 6, 2013, Bergdahl's family announces that through the International Committee of the Red Cross, we recently received a letter where confident was written to us by our son. January 2014, a U.S. military official tells CNN that the military has obtained a new video of Bergdahl. February 18th, 2014, because remember, they had him for five years. So it's just a lot of, like, video releases, whatever. He's living out his actor career. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Um, in February 2014, a U.S. official tells CNN discussions are underway with intermediaries overseas to see if there is any ability to gain Bergdahl's release. Discussions are being led by U.S. diplomats and involve the Defense Department. May 31st, 2014, President Barack Obama announces the release of Bergdahl. In exchange, five detainees of Guantanamo Bay will be released in Qatar. In June 13th, 2014, Bergdahl returns to the United States. June 16th, 2014, the U.S. Army announces that a two-star general will investigate the circumstances surrounding Bergdahl's decision to leave his post in Afghanistan in 2009. Because at that point, no one knew why he left. People just knew he left and got captured by the Taliban. And they couldn't ask him why he left because he was being held by the Taliban for five years. So now he's like, okay, finally, this was my plan. They're being really mean to us. Right. Or so they were five fucking years ago. Five years later. Oh my god, girl! <laughs> White when men. he was there for a month, he was there for a this month. This explains how our government works. <laughs> um. So July fourteenth, twenty fourteen. The Army announces that Bergdahl has completed medical care and mental counseling at an Army hospital in San Antonio and will return to active duty with a desk job. Putting him back in Afghanistan. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) July 16th, 2014, Bergdahl retains attorney Eugene Fidel. March 3rd, 2015, the U.S. military charges Bergdahl with one count each of desertion with intent to shrink important or hazardous duty, or sorry, shirk important or hazardous duty, and misbehavior before the enemy by endangering the safety of a command unit or place. March 25th, 2015, Bergdahl's attorney releases a statement outlining his defense of the soldier and containing a two-page letter from Bergdahl describing the torture he endured. So basically his argument was that he shouldn't be tried because he was tortured. Not so like he's like I should get time served for the time I spent with with Al Qaeda. I should get like a credit, right? Put it on my tab, right? Like, can't you say I already did five years so with can the I Taliban? Only do like two years, and then maybe um, like knock that which down. Included they months also spent chained me. to a bed and further years spent chained on all fours or locked in a cage. He says. September 18th, 2015, Major Gen, uh, Major General Kenneth Dahl, the Army General who led the investigation into Bergdahl's actions in Afghanistan, testifies at a preliminary hearing that the, that jail time would be inappropriate for Bergdahl. Dahl says he interviewed Bergdahl for a day and a half and did not find any evidence to corroborate the reporting that Bergdahl was sympathetic to the Taliban, but rather Bergdahl wanted to call attention to what he considered poor leadership of his unit. Um, because Still a lot of people were like, story. were like, you know, was he staying with? He just walked off. Was he staying with them willingly? Yeah. Did he go because he decided he wanted to like switch sides and help the Taliban? That was a big question about like why he left. Like people wondered if that was a part of it. December tenth, two thousand fifteen, the second season of the popular podcast Serial premieres, featuring <laughs> Bergdahl's story. He speaks for the first time about the nearly five years he spent as a captive of the Taliban. December fourteenth, twenty fifteen, General Robert a- uh, Abrams, the commander of U.S. Army forces, orders Bergdahl's case to general court martial, breaking the U.S. military officer overseeing Bergdahl's preliminary hearing, who recommended that Bergdahl be referred to a special court martial and face no jail time. February 9th, 2016, a George, uh, uh, I can't talk today, a George, a judge in the court proceedings involving Bergdahl issues a stay of proceedings, essentially putting the court martial on hold. The stay is in place until an appeals court can resolve a dispute involving the sharing of classified evidence with Bergdahl's defense team. 
March 17, 2016, according to an Army Sanity Board evaluation, Bergdahl had schizotypal personality disorder at the time of the alleged criminal conduct and now also has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. That information is included in hundreds of pages of documents that Bergdahl's defense team releases on a website called the Bergdahl Docket. Another thing they talked about on Serial that is super vital is about the timing of when he joined the military. So the military has all these restrictions, right, on who can and who can't join the military. And based on uh, not just physical fitness, but mental fitness, like how emotionally fit is this person under stress? Mm -hmm. Bergdahl had spent time in the Coast Guard, right? And the Coast Guard is supposed to be like, I mean, they work hard, but like the most chill, like, demi-military before you like want to go join like the navy right um and he was in the coast guard and that fucker could not handle the stress of the coast guard oh (laughs) like he was dismissed from the coast guard for mental issues like he had a panic attack like freaked out got really upset about some shit right and they were like, this dude is not fit to serve. And he stayed five days in a tank? It was three days. And it? I don't even know if he was on. I don't think he was even in that tank. He just knew that that happened in his unit. He wasn't even one of the people in I the tank. I was like, he stayed in a tank for three days and didn't have a panic attack? I don't think he was even there. I think he's oh, just okay. like, that happened in my unit. Yeah, and, girl. Oh. Yeah. So here's God. the thing. He At the time awful. that he joined during the war... Is at a time where this happens when the U.S. military is at war, they lower the standards of what's necessary for you to join the military. By normal non-wartime standards, Bo Bergdahl would not have been accepted into the military because he would not have been mentally fit. But (laughs) with the reduction in those requirements, he passed the mental fitness part of the test and was able to join the military. So in reality, Bo Bergdahl never ever should have been in the military at at war in Afghanistan. That never should have happened. But it did. Uh, And then he walked away. And then he got captured. And he went crazy. Uh, April 28th, uh, 2016, the U.S. Army Court of Criminal Appeals denies an appeal by the prosecution, thereby granting Bergdahl's defense team access to hundreds of thousands of pages of classified information. The court also lifts the stay of proceedings issued in early February, thus allowing Bergdahl's court-martial to proceed. May 24th, 2016, the Army announces it posted online more than 40 documents associated with Bergdahl's Bergdahl's ongoing case. They outline ongoing legal actions by trial counsel, defense counsel, and the U.S. Army Trial Judiciary at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which I was born in. August 16th, 2017, Bergdahl chooses to be tried by a military judge instead of a jury, according to a court filing posted by his defense team. October 16th, 2017, pleads guilty to desertion and misbehavior before the enemy. November 3rd, 2017, receives a dishonorable discharge from the U.S. Army and will avoid prison time. All right. Because of the time he spent with the Taliban. Taliban. Military judge also rules that Bergdahl's rank be reduced from sergeant to private, which is what he was when he was arrested anyway. So they just undid the two promotions he got. And then we're like, JK, this was a mistake like hiring you was. (laughs) (laughs) The military judge also rules that Bergdahl's rank be reduced from sergeant to private, and he'll be required to pay a $1,000 fine from his salary for the next 10 months. 
Oh, that's not bad. So his sentence was the five years he already spent with the Taliban. And then $10,000. Losing the promotions that he didn't really earn because he was with the Taliban at the time. (laughs) And then having to pay a $10,000 fine and being kicked out of the army. But dishonorably. So not even like... So he can't be like, I was in the army. He can't go to Chile. He can't use it as a reference, right? They're going to be like, yo, he fucking walked off during shift. They're going to be like, we can't have that at the Chili's, Bo. <laughs> yeah. You can't just walk off shift you at Chili's, okay? I don't know what off. they teach you in Afghanistan. <laughs> but this is But Chili's. this is Chili's. <laughs> now go serve those people their uh, awesome blossom. So that's the story of Bo Bergdahl. Wow. All right. There it is. Right. Now, when he first disappeared, before he got out and was able and talked about why, there was just a big, like, all we knew is, like, he's this American soldier who's a prisoner of war. Although military people were like, you know, dude, he, like, walked the fuck away. Right. Like, we don't even... And my brother is one of those people who's like, I don't really care what happened. Like, he... Yeah. Walked away. Yeah. So, like, that's on him. Like, he knew he was in the middle of a war zone. That's on he you. He had a job to do. And yeah. he was just like, yo, was fuck like, this. You willingly walked into the Taliban. So, my brother's like, fuck that guy. Which yeah. I'm like, I ain't gonna But yeah. all, I'm like, you know, he never should have been in the fucking military in the first place. Not ever. Yeah. But, I mean, he still applied. So, he, he sure did, did. to himself. Yeah. He so. sure did. He lost five years. Yeah. And $10,000. And $10,000. So. And a lot of respect. <laughs> yeah. And now we're talking about street cred. But that's Bo Bergdahl. If y'all are mm. like, who's this Bo Bergdahl? People talked about a lot. That's who that was. That's what happened. Bam. I don't remember that at all. But now I know. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. So real fast before we dive into the next story, we want to bring another promo to you. But you've heard these guys before. This is Two Scared Siblings. I like them. They're adorable. I know. They're very cute. So take a listen and go check them out. Hello. Hello. We're Two Scared Siblings. I'm Andrea. I'm Ren. And we talk about all horror things. So. Yeah, I said that really salesman corny. <laughs> yeah. I'm Ren. And buy yeah. this car. Why, hello there, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Come to um, our horror podcast. And right? there's a lot of this crap, too. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of this crap. We do this. But everything horror. So true crime... Ghost stories. Like a lot of ghost stories. Conspiracies. I don't know. Gross diseases. Everything. All, like actual fictional stories and like media critiques and the horror genre. Anything that's Everything horrible. horror. So if you like horrible yep. shit, come listen to us. Yeah. And you can email us too. We do audience participation at twoscaredsiblings at gmail.com. So like you might be featured on an episode. So yeah. All things yeah. horror. Check us out. Bye. We love you. Bye. Mwah. All right, I'm glad yours was light because mine's about to get real heavy. <laughs> Just a little bit of Taliban torture. A little bit of Taliban torture. Well, we're going to bring it on back to good old American torture. Not, hang on, well, hang on. Kind of. Ooh, two scared siblings. Oh, my God. Thank you, Stephanie. I no, hate they don't it. thank me. Thank them. I hate What's their names? Andrea and Ren. Don't thank me. Thank Andrea and Ren. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea and Ren. Thank you, Two Scared Siblings. Mm, scared Siblings. Go check them out. Um, and buckle up because my story is going to be a doozy. You know Sarah likes to get fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, girl. I wish you guys could have seen Stephanie's face when she did that. <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys know how I like the real fucked up shit. So today we're going to tell you the story of Danny LaPlante. Sound familiar? No? Good. So, okay, cool. uh, Danny 
Little Le bit Plant. Le Plant. A uh, little bit about him and his background. Um, he was born in 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. Like all people that we talk about on the show, he suffered a traumatic childhood. <laughs> Naturally. I was like, yeah, I was like, otherwise we won't be talking about him. If we people, people who had good childhoods saying, don't do things to warrant getting on this not podcast. That this is our job, parentheses, yet. Yet. But if people didn't have fucked up childhoods, we wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> wouldn't have a job. <laughs> You know, though, uh, like psychiatrists and, peop- and people who work in mental hospitals, that's they wouldn't have a that, job. My mom used to always tell me um, that psychiatrists are all people who have something wrong with them. And that's what made them go into psychiatry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Traumatic childhoods. I mean, um, I so, go to therapy, so like I'm not shitting on it, but that's what my mom no, used it's to like say. A, yeah. Um, so traumatic childhood, he had a physical, psychological and sexual abuse mainly from his father so his home life was not good and therefore he struggled in school he was diagnosed with dyslexia and he didn't have many friends so he didn't do well in his classes and people didn't like him most people who knew him just described him as like creepy the weird creepy kid yep. but the weird creepy kid in the like that kid's gonna shoot up the school one yeah day. like in a columbine trench coat kind of yes way. I got it. except he didn't have a friend they at right because it was a pair of friends. <laughs> oh, Sarah! Oh no! <laughs> Most of the time, it's a lone other. shooter. But I, I appreciate that that's your look with Columbine. <laughs> at least they had each other. Wow, I love it. It's terrible. Oh well, get ready. Here comes more. So, due to his abnormal behavior and he had a lack of hygiene, like the weird kids do they just don't really care he was referred by school officials to a psychiatrist so it was thought that maybe this would help him out uh jk no his psychiatrist started sexually abusing him jesus christ so he suffered sexual abuse from his psychiatrist for about a year none of what i'm saying though about his history and what happened excuses what he ends up doing so in his early teens he began to break into people's homes and steal things and he got really good at it breaking and and entering and and stealing stealing. and um he got real good at it to the point where he started breaking into people's homes not to steal things but just to fuck with them and he would break into people's houses and move stuff around he would take things from another person's house when he robbed them and put them in another person's house so people would come home and be like this isn't my base i'm really i'm sad because i'm like this part of the story is so much fun and i'm like i know this is gonna get horrible but i'm like that sounds kind of fun i would do that as a criminal he would just break just break in move shit move shit i love taking stuff from one house and put them in somebody else just to fuck with them just to mess with them I don't. Uh, and he's I want like, the story to end here. That that's all he did. I know. But I he know. was it's gonna get teenage burglar. Um, so he's like, you know, thirteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. when he's doing this, getting really good at uh, breaking and entering. Um, and by yeah, by fifteen, he's you know taking, moving things, taking things from one house, putting them in another house. You know, like taking the remotes out of or taking the like batteries out of a remote, like little things, so that people would be like, someone's been in my house. 
but I don't see anything of value right. missing. Like I, I can't mm-hmm. pinpoint it just to put them on edge. So it was really into that like torment. Yep. That weird. like mental like yes. fuck with you. Yes. Yep, and again, he's 15. So 1986, he, we don't really know how, but he sets his sights on the Andrews house. And again, this all of this happens in the neighborhood of Townsend or city of Townsend. So it all kind of happens in the same neighborhood. He doesn't really leave. Is that in Maryland? Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Because there's a Townsend, Maryland outside of Baltimore. Mm. And that's where Divine and John Waters are from. Aww. And Divine is buried there. And I was like, oh, my God, is this there, too? No. Mm-hmm. No, okay. This is Massachusetts. Um, so he sets his sights on this house. It's unclear how he got the phone number, whether he had broken in and got their number that way or if he just stalked them. But the family consisted of the dad, Brian, and his two daughters, Annie and Jessica, who were both around his age. Uh, Not Brian's age, Danny's age. Duh. So Danny began calling the house and struck up a friendship with the two girls, particularly Annie, saying that he had seen her around and he thought she was really pretty and got her number from a friend and that he went to a neighboring school and he was an athlete and he was really handsome and he had blonde hair and he pulled himself off as being this very charismatic, charming person. He basically catfished them over Mm -hmm. the phone and ended up getting Annie to agree to go on a date with him. So he gets her to agree to go on a date. How old is he at this point? 15. He's still 15? Okay. Yeah. I don't think he's turned 16 yet. He's either 15 or 16. It's okay. 1986. So he shows up for their date, and he's the exact opposite of what he said he was going to be. He's got dark hair, greasy, not clean, not well-dressed. But Annie, being a fucking trooper, still goes on this date with him. Oh, honey. I know. So she goes on the date and hangs out for like an hour, give or take. And then she's like, I'm sorry, I hear my dad calling. I got to go home. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, she makes an excuse and then she leaves. Now, the Andrews family, they had just recently lost the mother. Um, She had just passed away from cancer that year, a few months ago, uh, leaving, of course, the dad to care for his two daughters. And later on, Annie would recall that during their date, Danny took a great interest in the subject of her mother's death and asked her a lot of questions like, how did she feel when her mom died? How did her mom die? Et cetera, et cetera, which is really weird. But a week or so after the date, she'd had no contact with him. She, you know, didn't go out. He was out of sight, out of mind. And being a teenage girl, her and her sister decided to hold a seance in their basement to try to contact their mom. They're like, we're going to try to contact mom. So let's break out the Ouija board and let's have a seance. The seance itself was uneventful. But later in the evening, they began to hear a rhythmic knocking on their bedroom wall. So they thought, we've conjured our mom. And they began began to have conversations during the night with their mom where their mom would answer with the knocks. But then as time went on... It progressed from just knocking. It became so much knocking that they couldn't sleep. And then they started to notice that things in the house would disappear. Yeah, fuck you, dude. Or get moved around. And so 
they would also come home and find like furniture had been moved from one side of the house to the other, like in their bedroom. So it wasn't anything big enough for the dad to notice, but the girls noticed and they were like, oh, my God, we didn't contact our mom. We contacted a demon like we've released a demon in our house. Like there's a poltergeist in here. Like, you know, you in danger, girl. Like they were so scared. And their dad said, you guys are going through grief and expressing it in a really weird way. Um, but we're not haunted. One night while the girls were home alone, the tapping began again, but this time it sounded like it was coming from the basement. So they went down to the basement. These girls are fucking troopers. They had a kitchen knife. They went down to the basement and written on the wall in the basement in blood said, I'm in your room. Come find me. So they noped the fuck out of there. Good for them. Right? Good for them. Smart girls. They noped the fuck out. They ran to the neighbors. They, they noped called the fuck their out. dad. They were like, Dad! Dad came home. He was like, you guys are full of shit. Walked into the house. Walked down to the basement. Saw the message. But it wasn't written in blood. It was written in ketchup. Okay. They thought it was blood. And he was like, oh, my God. I got to get you guys into therapy. He put the girls into therapy. Girl, fuck that. If I heard... Tapping in my basement. And if I was bold enough to go down and look, which I fucking wouldn't be. No, I would leave. If I saw anything, I don't give a shit if it was written in permanent marker. If I saw some shit written on the wall about being in my room and like, fuck that, I'd be out of the house. I don't give a fuck what it was written in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The girls made the right choice. But if I saw red, I would also be like, that's that's I'm not going to walk up and taste it (laughs) and be like, hmm. Is this? I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely blood. No, I would be like, that looks like fucking blood. I'm getting out of this goddamn house because I'm not getting murdered. Because that ghost is going to murder me. But yeah, so then dad, but of course dad is only seeing girls crying, ketchup written in the basement. Antics. But like for real. So weeks later, it goes a little bit of time goes by, nothing happens. Weeks later, the tapping returns. Also, when dad is gone, coincidentally enough. Um, But this time, it's from the girl's room. So once again, they went upstairs. They found the message written on the wall. I'm back. Find me if you can. They noped the fuck out again and called their dad. This is where the stories differ. And I found two different accounts. So I'm going to tell you. I'm trying to think of which accounts to tell. I'm going to tell you the nice account first, and then I'm going to tell you the other account. So, or they go to the neighbor's house. Dad comes home. He's real sick of their bullshit. And he goes over to the house first, and he notices that things are in complete disarray and totally different from when the neighbors and the girls had called and said, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's in the house. And then he comes home and he finds, again, I read two different accounts. One said it was just that furniture had been moved around differently. Another account said that he came in, things were turned over, clothes were strewn everywhere, and that there was semen everywhere. So like he'd like jerked off on stuff while they were gone because they were out of the house for like a few hours before dad got home. But I'm like, like, it says he like, yeah, that's what it said. So those are two different accounts. Take with that what you will. Dad came home. He saw apparently someone had been in the house in between when the girls left and he came home. And he knew his daughters didn't make semen. Be it that too. Um, So this account says that dad's in the house alone. He goes upstairs to Dan. Annie's room and he sees the message that the girl said and then he sees a new message and it says marry me 
and he turns around and in the corner of the room, he sees Danny standing there in the dead mom's clothes, wearing makeup and a blonde wig. The fuck? Holding a hatchet. A struggle ensues between Danny and the dad, and then Danny vanishes. And the dad is like, that's real weird. Where'd he go? He got out of here real fast in this struggle. (laughs) Danny vanishes. The dad leaves the house, calls the police. That's one story. Another story says that all three of the family members went into the house. Dad, two daughters. They all went upstairs and they all discovered the message and Danny at the same time. Again, both accounts. Danny standing in the room, dead mom's clothes, makeup, wig, hatchet. That's the same in all accounts. In this one, the whole family shows up. Danny chases them down, ends up tying them all up and tells them that he's going to kill them and they better start praying now. And then he leaves the room, presumably to go like steal some valuables. And while he's gone, the youngest girl, Jessica, is able to wiggle out of the knots, runs over to the neighbors, calls the police and the police show up, set the family free. Once again, Danny has disappeared. So Danny seems to vanish In this account, the family stays away for a few days, stays at the neighbor's house out of fear because they're like, you haven't caught him. We're not going back to our house until you catch him. They say that when they finally decide to show back up at the house, they pull into the driveway, look up and see Danny staring at them from the window. So they called the police again. Police came in. Danny was seemingly missing. And the police began to search the house. Yeah, I was like, he's got a fucking hidey hole in the house. So then in both accounts... In this one where the family was attacked by Danny and then in the other one where it's just the dad, the police show up and while they're searching, they find a crawl space hidden in a cupboard in Annie's room. And when they open up the door in the back of the crawl space, there's Danny all curled up inside. So they got him out. They arrested him. Then they ended up finding that that crawl space had tunnels that led all throughout the house. And not only do they have tunnels all throughout the house, of course, then, you know, they found sleeping bag, beer cans, food wrappers. He'd been living there the whole time in the walls. Mm -hmm. Then they also found peepholes that he had put in the walls so that he could watch them wherever they were in the house. Mm -hmm. Because he was 16, 15, 16 years old, he just got a year in juvie. Get the fuck out. Yep. One year in juvie. And then he was released... And his mom paid the, like, $1,000 bail, and he was out in October of 1987. And then he was back on his same bullshit. I was going to say, that cannot be the end this of that. This is not the There's end of this no story. Way. Nope. He got back on his same bullshit. He started burgling once again, and during one robbery, he obtained two handguns. It's about to get really explicit and a little graphic, so if you're not into that, skip ahead, like, two minutes. In December of 1987, Danny broke into the Gustafson family home, again in Townsend, Massachusetts, and he was met by the pregnant Priscilla and her two young children, Abigail and William. Andrew Gustafson was at work when Danny entered the home and was met with his family. And when Andrew came home from work, he was met with the worst side of his life. He came in and found that his wife Priscilla was laying face down in their bed, all of the pillows covered in blood, 
She had been shot multiple times in the head at point blank range after having been raped. Mm-hmm. He called the police. And when the police showed up, they found the two children, the children yeah. each in separate bathrooms. Each had been drowned. The police pretty immediately put two and two together and figured out that it was Danny. And for the next 48 hours, there was a manhunt because he was nowhere to be found. And they knew that he was armed and he was dangerous. And this isn't a large town. So this entire town was completely put on edge for 48 hours. I read a personal account of someone writing on Facebook saying that when the news broke that it was Danny, like everyone who went to high school in that town wasn't surprised they were like yep that sounds about right that's something that he would do yeah that dude fucking did it so he was on the loose for 48 hours and in that time he managed to go to a town two towns over break into another woman's house and kidnap her in her car and take her car she manages to escape somehow i couldn't figure out exactly how she escapes but she escaped she's not killed And 48 hours later, the police finally track him down and find him hiding in a dumpster. Jesus Christ. When he was found, he was inspected and they found a hair belonging to Abigail, the daughter, on his sock, thereby giving them concrete evidence to link him to the murders. One year later, he was sentenced to three life sentences in prison. Good. He was 17 years old. Fuck him. Now, he is a converted Wiccan. Sure. In prison. And two years ago, in 2017, he filed a lawsuit against the state of Massachusetts for a violation of his rights, saying that he had requested sufficient materials to practice his Wiccan religion, and he had been denied those materials by the prison guards. Those materials included black opium, honeysuckle, and dragon's blood. Sure. He did not win that lawsuit, lawsuit. Sure. yeah, uh, and also members of the Wiccan faith have come forward saying that he does not need those things to practice his religion, and also we do not consider him to be a member of our religion. Right, he's too bad for us. No, he'd make a great Christian though. <laughs> right. In 2017, he appealed for a reduced sentence, and that was denied. Good. He'll be spending his life in prison. Good. And that's the story of Danny Laplante. Hmm. <sighs> so yeah. if you ever hear tapping on your walls. You should nope the fuck out. I've never met anybody named Danny who wasn't a fucking piece of work. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know if I've ever met anyone named Danny. They're fucking... Because they're probably hiding in my halls. I'm my walls. I was like, they've met you. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, So, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And, um, yeah, that's what happened. That, uh... Yeah, how you feeling, Steph? Told you it was going to be heavy. It was heavy. For the most part, it was like... It starts out funny. dropping Because you're like, oh but my God, he's bothering these girls. They think it's like, their it's mom. It's going to get horrible. Oh, it's he dressed really in their horrible. clothes. Oh, he's going to murder people. I was like, he's going to rape And then he just... And then he raped her. And he yeah. did. And she and was pregnant. And he drowned her two babies. Drowned her babies. And they said that... I didn't really include this, but they said that... um obviously him getting his hands on a handgun is what gave him the power to feel like he could actually do this because yeah. he obviously didn't feel like he physically could overpower anyone, which is why he, he hadn't attempted hatchet. it. Right. And they said that he, um, he likely yeah, killed, he, whatever. he killed the mom first and then killed the children Yeah, to get it's, her out of the way. It's pretty horrible, but he's in jail for the rest of his life. Good. 
But he, he did all of this. Again, he was 17. He was 15 yeah. when he was hiding and living in the walls of that one family. Yeah, it's fucking horrible. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephanie, you want to lighten it up with a fetish vibe? I do. We got a fetish five. For the it's first back. time uh, in a long time. Uh, yeah, and I want you to know it's not that I've abandoned them. It's just that I'm forgetful. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't. No one's like complained to mm. us, so I think we're okay. Sure, but like I'm letting y'all know. Yeah, like you, the listeners Z. with a Z. Uh, yeah, well, it's funny because I was like, I have two picked out and I'll decide based on Sarah's story, which one I'll do first. Oh, no. So, um, I don't think I've ever talked about exhibitionism and voyeurism before. <laughs> yeah, that goes with my story. <laughs> voyeurism definitely goes with your story. <sighs> so for those of you who are, you know, unfamiliar with the two, uh, exhibitionism is when somebody likes to be seen, like people who like to be seen having sex or be seen being naked or just be seen doing whatever. I, in some ways, consider myself an exhibitionist. <laughs> um, but those are people who like to be like the name implies, like be on exhibition, like be yeah available to be seen right uh and then the opposite of that is voyeurism which are people who like to watch a lot of times voyeurs are people who like to watch without people knowing that they're watching uh my dad found semen all over that house yep uh so (laughs) it was just don't yuck his yum don't yuck his yum well let's yuck his yum i only say that when it is something that doesn't involves some, an unwilling participant. That's assault. If it's somebody who's into it, who likes it, that's uh, you're not yucking that's a yum. Like it's yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the difference between that's the crucial difference between BDSM and abuse, right? Yes. The so BDSM is like you want it, you've agreed to it, you're into it, you want you've agreed, you've made the choice, you want to make this happen. Abuse is you don't have a choice that's happening to you, yeah. right? So that's the difference between the two. And that's what makes me murky about voyeurism is I'm like, you got to have somebody who's agreed ahead of time to not know you're going to be there. But for you to just be there, it's like, uh. that's where it's like wrong. That's where it's like Danny style. Yeah. Damn. Um <laughs> consensual exhibitionism and consensual voyeurism are not a problem right except for sexually repressed conservatives in gay bathhouses leaving a door ajar but not fully open can be a signal that others are welcome to watch but not join in Mm. Uh, (laughs) how personal do i want to get like did you (laughs) you've been to a bathhouse and left the door bathhouse but went to a sex party. It wasn't a sex party, a fetishy party, where one part of the fetishy party is what they call the fuck nook, which is a room where people are allowed to go fuck because you can't fuck out in the open part oh, of the party. It's just, yeah. It's just like a little kinky foreplay-y things. If you're going to fuck, take it to the fuck nook. Take it to the fuck nook. But you can also leave the fuck nook door open. So people can see. So that see. people can see if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> the fuck nook. This is the part I have to decide if I want to let you keep or not. I'm going to tell you this story, but I'm not guaranteeing that you can keep this. <laughs> Damn it. Val and I were in the fuck nook. And we left the door open. But this is the best part. We're fucking. Up comes uh, Casper, who's the host of this party. To, like we're at a restaurant, knock on the door. I'm so sorry. I don't want to interrupt, 
we're gonna we're gonna be wrapping up here in about fifteen minutes, and I just just want to let you know I didn't want you know you're fine. Just just a little <laughs> heads up, we're gonna be cleaning up. So about fifteen minutes or so, we're gonna be wrapping this up in here. Okay, and we're gonna we'll okay, flash okay, the lights. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're in the fuck. You guys, you guys have fun. God, I love you. <laughs> right. Like you know, I, don't want to. You're obviously having a great time at the party. I appreciate you coming. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, both yeah, ways. Both ways. Um, uh, but you have 15 minutes to finish coming. To finish in and the fuck nook, And then you got to get the fuck nook out of here. <laughs> um, you can come as long as you go right after. You can come as long as you go. Uh, <laughs> So non-consensual acts of those kinds can be distressing for other people. I have had a homeless person masturbate at me on the street, made me cry, really upset me. It was made me it ruined. I used to go walk on. Uh, it wasn't on the street. It was out on Penn's Landing, the Oof, the pier. Yeah. When I lived on South Street, I used to go walk out there every day, and I stopped because one day a homeless guy masturbated at me and creeped me out, and I stopped walking that's over awful. there. That's awful. Right. It was really horrible. So that's an example, right, of exhibitionism that it's is non-consensual okay. and is not okay to just masturbate at people. That's not okay. Um, and I remember talking to somebody about it who was like, I always thought it'd be kind of hot if I like masturbated and somebody like in my car and somebody saw me. And I was like, here's why it wouldn't be. Yeah, it does Somebody masturbated at me. It was very upsetting. <laughs> who don't want to see something sexual or don't want to be watched when they do something in private. Such non-consensual acts are commonly illegal in many domestic countries. These kinds of warriors are often called peeping toms. Yeah. So a peeping tom is, you know, somebody who's like fucking watching your window or a peeping Danny, if you will. Um, it's those, bad. Peeping Dannys will murder those you. Those are not though. cool. So again, safe, sane, and consensual is the key word when it comes to safely practicing your kink. Don't yuck someone's yum, but also don't try and yum on somebody when it's their yuck. Like, mm-hmm. get, keep your yum to yourself. And if the fuck nook door is open, you can look. If it's closed, knock. Knock. You know. If it's 15 minutes before the party ends, just let them know. Knock. <laughs> Flash um, the lights. We all know what that means. So, yeah. I hope you enjoyed our first Fetish Five in quite a some while. time. I hope it was a good one. I enjoyed it. Uh, guys, if you like this episode, if you like the show, of course, you can support us by going to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash deadtime stories. All one word with a Z. Girl, I know. I'm looking at the time, too. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all one word with a Z. You can email us your stories, your thoughts, um, questions, comments, complaints. Please send do. those to deadtime stories with a Z at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, also deadtime stories. We would love, love, love your patronage. A dollar gets you access to our Patreon exclusive Facebook. $5 gets you extra bonus content, an episode of I Seen It. I Seen It. Where I tell Sarah about horror movies that she hasn't seen before. That's going to be coming out this month. And because we've officially started uh, June, we've gotten our first Patreon subscriptions. So we will be also doing for $15 the Faint Flatulence Collection, which gets you a handcrafted, hand-captured ghost fart mailed directly to your door, as well as a little certificate that tells you about the ghost who left that behind for you it is not a fecal forgery it is 100 percent authentic i mean okay sure yeah authentic <laughs> to us uh val offered to fart in the ghost fart jars for us 
And you I was, and can I was like, bottle You are so sweet, you honey, but that's not necessary. No, please don't. So, uh, of course, if you don't have the money to support us monetarily, we can also always use your support online by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want a sticker, you can screenshot that motherfucker and email it to us with your address and we'll send you a sticker. We will. We will. We have. We've done it before. We'll do it again. There you go. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 